Hello and welcome back to the Knowledge Panel Show. It's episode 26 and it's using log files in SEO. So I've got a fantastic panel again with me. I've got uh, Jerry, Sophie and, and Stephen. I'll ask them all to introduce themselves uh, in just a moment. Um, for those that are seeing me on camera, I do apologize for the uh, the lack of shaving. I spent last week at the British Chess Championships and shaving didn't seem to be a, a, a thing there. They didn't do that very much. Uh, so uh, so I, 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 I didn't bother. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks very much for coming in. Uh, why don't we just start with the introduction? Sophie, why don't we start with you? Uh, tell, us, tell us about yourself. So who are you and where do you come from? Amazing. So hi, everyone. I'm Sophie Brannan. I'm the Client Services Director at an agency called Absolute Digital Media. Um, I've been working in SEO for the last six and a half years. I've dealt with campaigns across a broad number of industries, huge websites down to tiny little brochure websites, and like to get my teeth stuck into log files. So really excited to join the panel. Fantastic. Thanks very much for coming on. Uh, and Jerry? what about you? Where are you and where do you come from? Um, so at the moment, I'm the SEO director for a company called Oda. It's a Norwegian supermarket. We're expanding globally as we speak. We're kind of looking to kind of grow into Germany, into Finland, where I'll be next week. And uh, well, I mean, that's basically the start. But historically, I've been everywhere from agency side to I've been like the SEO guy at Justy. I've been at the BBC. I've been more places that I can remember in like, uh, let's say, 20 years worth of experience. Brilliant. Thanks very much for coming in, Jerry. And uh, Stephen, tell us about yourself and where do you come from? So my name is Stephen. I'm the Director of Organic Marketing over at Conductor. Conductor is an enterprise SEO platform. Um, I'm also the co-founder of Content King, real-time SEO auditing and change tracking solution, which was acquired earlier this year by Conductor. And similar to Jerry, I've been all over the place. I worked in-house, uh, agency side, ran my own agency, and um, yeah, now in the SEO tool space for the last seven years. Uh, so as uh, as was said on Twitter um, earlier on today, a dream panel. Thanks very much for coming in, guys. Um, I really uh, do appreciate all of your attention uh, here. As always, this whole event is sponsored by Inlinks. Um, so thanks to Inlinks.net. Uh, that's the advert for them out the way. Let's just check with my producer that I haven't uh, missed anything important before we get on. David, how are you? Very good, thank you. I, I just want to say, Dixon, um, we get many people listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. But uh, if you can, try and join us live next time. We broadcast live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, so follow the Inlinks channels, um, especially on YouTube. Um, we go live once a month on, on, on YouTube. So uh, subscribe there, um, get alert when we go live, and then you can interact. You can see what the next show is, and uh, hopefully you can watch us live and ask questions. Um, on the next show, and I'll tell you about the next show later in this one. Brilliant, and uh, yeah, we, and we've got a little uh, a little opt in. If you want to sign up, get an email when the uh, shows are coming on. Then, if I remember, I send that out an hour before before the event. But you know how I am. I'm uh, not always quite as perfect as I should be. Uh, okay, guys. So thanks a lot. So I'm going to start as I always do um, around the topic. A lot of people. Don't jump into the whole 45 minutes of all these podcasts and wish that we got to the point quicker. So I tend to start with, uh, with uh, uh, the question of if people don't have 45 minutes to, uh, to hang around, what one tip would you give to people about, you know, a, a tip, a suggestion, a takeaway surrounding using log files for SEO? One thing that you think, you know, hey, that's an easy win. Go do that. 
and I'm going to jump in on Jerry first to uh, to go with that one because he's always got an answer for me. I, to be honest, I'm struggling with this one. There's so much to it. Log files are actually one of the most complicated parts of it all. Um, there are some great tools to kind of analyze it. I mean, obviously, Content King has got the the kind of a log file analysis part of it, component to it. If you haven't got that, then Screaming Frog, and they've got kind of great dashboarding solutions. These two tools will allow you to kind of do really quick and deep analysis. So basically, you can't really do log file analysis without a great tool anymore. It's not something which is possible because you're talking about terabytes of data. Unless you're kind of a, a programming database, uh, big data kind of uh, guru, then kind of analysis of it does require some kind of tool. Um, like I say, I've used multiple different things in the past, but yeah, um, use a good tool. Sophie, what about you? Uh, any tip, suggestion, idea? Oh, I think mine comes probably more off of one of my biggest pain points with log file analysis. Um, I guess my tip would be if you can use a CDN to access your log files and do it, because it makes it a lot easier to access and it stops all of those headaches of trying to find where they are, trying to get access to it, particularly if you don't have the full access anyway and you're trying to go through lines of developers or stakeholders to try and get hold of them. If you can get them in the CDN, then that'll be the easiest way. Okay, we'll probably come back to that because I was going to talk mm -hmm. about CDNs anyway because they add, you know, I'm I'm so so old that, you know, CDNs didn't exist when I started. And uh, uh, and to Jerry's point, I used to, uh, I used to use a, a templated Excel spreadsheet where you could cut and paste everything into a spreadsheet, and then I, mm -hmm. <laughs> then, I then I did some Manual. analysis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really yeah uh, really old school, but things have moved on a little bit. So uh, can we can't come back to CDNs? Um, Stephen, awesome. a, a thought for you, and obviously I think it's fair to say use use the content king tool you're allowed to say that it's okay <laughs> i'm not going to stop you from talking about your own tool but any tip yeah so um love what uh, jerry and sophie said um and and uh, continuing where sophie left off uh using cdns where you can basically um you can plug in the the, the log streams from cdns into uh, SEO platforms, such as Content King, for example, and you can get real-time insight into what's going on on your site. Um, so that's super, super useful. A lot of folks think about um, log file analysis as like a rigid process that you go through once a year and it takes forever. You need to bribe people with donuts to get the log files in the first place. But there's a whole new world out there. Uh, and yeah, I would highly recommend exploring it. So, okay, well, let's start with the CDN thing then, because that's kind of, uh, well, actually, no, before we go into the CDN, and I'll come straight onto that one, because I think we should get into that. But let's just, you know, for those that, that CDN is one, two steps too far, let's just ask, ask you know, what's, what is the real difference between a log file analysis and just using Google Analytics, you know? I mean, I'm, it's, a, it's a question that I'm, I'm asking rhetorically, but you know, does someone want to jump in and say, you know, what are the main differences between log files and uh, and things like Google Analytics, which is what we all use? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, basically, Google Analytics is... is um really very, very different to log file analysis. I mean, a bit of history actually there is the fact that Urchin actually used to be, well, in fact, when we first started doing web analytics, it was based on log files, but we are going back to when Dixon was young. So we are talking quite a long time ago. Um, but, but basically, yeah, since then, what we've done is we've been almost firing this client side. So basically when a user interacts with the page, then JavaScript's fired. And so we only track users in analytics packages. In fact, we actually try really hard in analytics packages just only tracked users 
And normally the best way to do this is to basically only track the ones that are firing JavaScript and then basically filtering it then down. We're going to be talking about user agents later on, but basically we try to kind of restrict it right down, whereas log files, it's kind of the opposite. It's literally trying to understand what is hitting the server and how it's hitting the server, why it's hitting the server. What that doesn't track is when when doesn't hit the server. So a good example of that is we often have interactions within pages which don't necessarily fire kind of a um, something back to the server. For instance, if you click play on a YouTube video, it won't actually fire back to your own server, so it doesn't get tracked in the log file. So fundamentally, the two now have very, very different purposes. And I think one of the things we'll be talking about here more for log files is we don't really even look at users in log files. We want to look at the robots. We want to look at people like Google, how Google crawls your site, how Bing crawls your site, how even how some of the other search engines actually hammer your site and what we can do to kind of either stop them or improve the way in which they go through it. And I think that's the biggest thing that we look at in log files is basically the inefficiencies of how sites are being crawled Whereas in analytics packages, we're almost looking at inefficiencies of how to convert users. So they have kind of similar purposes, but really totally different. And Stephen, do you try and blend uh, blend sort of uh, JavaScript-based um, signals with, uh, with log file-based signals to have one kind of streaming signal, or do you keep them separate? Uh, personally, I keep them separate. Um, because I, you know, I look, I look at the um, crawlers and users uh, in different ways, as, as Jerry explained. Um, so uh, when it comes to log files, I really look at, I zoom in on Google's behavior primarily because it's the dominant search engine in most countries that we target, and I am looking for um, uh, ways to improve the time to crawl, time to index, and time to rank. Uh, because obviously, when you, when you push the button and you publish a content piece, you want to you want it to drive organic traffic uh, as soon as possible, um, and especially when you start analyzing that in real time at scale, uh, it gets really really interesting. Okay, so then Sophie, what what? Let's go back to uh, well, uh, feel free to add to, to those two points, but let's go back to this CDN thing. You know, you you made the point uh, at the top top of the show. You know, if you can get your log files through CDN, uh, through the CDN network instead of through, you know, uh, the the end server or whatever, then uh, then that's going to be a better thing. Um, I've got a couple of questions. Well, two or three questions, really. I'll just sort of throw them all out there to you, talk to you, Sophie, if that's all right. You know, uh, do all the CDN systems provide that data very effectively? Um, and uh, and why is it better to have the CDN stream rather than um, than the the end server? Uh, log file data um why yeah why, why and how easy is it so for me my personal preference is cloudflare and um, that's for a number of reasons not just because of log files i'm talking um like ddos attack security you know everything on top of that as well overall site speed and i think i've seen a bigger increase in people using cdn since the whole core web vitals everyone needs to improve their site speed or oh, quick let's shove a cdn on top of it without really seeing um, or doing much else of it the reason why i prefer using the cdns is literally the ease of access more than anything particularly when you're working with big corporate companies big brands or even just people who don't know where their log files are or they're dealing with kind of legal teams really strict legal teams and there's a whole other range of issues there which I think you might talk about in a little bit later um which we can with GDPR and things but it just really helps you to access it a lot quicker 
one of the biggest things that I also find when having to go through like a development team or going through like a whole list of stakeholders is the length of time that those log files are held for. You can kind of control that on a much kind of closer scale when you're dealing with CDNs because really you can access all of that. Whereas when you're going through kind of the client side and you're trying to go through the development teams, you turn around and they're like, oh, we only held the log files for 24 hours. Sorry about that. Great. <laughs> That's really helpful when I'm trying to analyze something. Yeah, Jerry, anything anything on on that? You know, is it you know any good other good reasons to use CDNs? Yeah, I mean this this whole uh, using a CDN is actually quite a recent thing for me. Um, I say that because back when I was younger, um, CDNs were almost a problem. They didn't store log files. They didn't kind of. In fact, what they tended to do was stop the logs, uh, stop the servers from being hit as much because they'd actually cache a lot of the hits and do other bits and pieces. So it's interesting that now we kind of use the the CDN as a, a way to get access to log files that we would not have got before. So I think that's absolutely kind of really important that we kind of do uh, use the CDNs. But one of the other advantages is the fact that when I was working, for example, at Just Eat, the, the website is made up of like 12 quite uh, separate kind of servers, um, services. One's a PHP box, one's a .NET box, one's a WordPress box, one's a, you know, there's so many different ways in which these kind of engines will kind of store the hits. And this really is important that if you then try to analyze it, you need the, almost the complete picture. You kind of have to understand what's happening everywhere. And I think one of the things Stephen will probably be able to expand on is the fact that all of these different services have a different log file format. Sometimes it's, you know, a different column, different everything. So even if you've got access to all of these, consolidating it, pulling it into one and kind of analyzing it, you're kind of trying to look at loads of different formats. And it's like when 10 people are trying to consolidate one Excel document, it's, uh, sorry, 10 Excel documents. It's it's absolutely horrendous job to do. But yeah, Stephen, I think you've probably got an opinion. <laughs> Yes, I do. Uh, I totally agree, Jerry. It, it just makes makes lives as, uh, as an SEO so much uh, easier if you have one place to look for your log files. It's it's a breeze. I, I guess as well. Uh, you know, I mean, Jerry made the point of a large website has six, six servers, say, but a small website that uses CDN that has only has one server then has a th quite quite likely especially if you've got static content, cache content that's in the CDN that would never hit the server. And that's the whole point of a of a content display network. So a distribution network, sorry. I just I can't remember what CDN stands for. Anyway, uh but 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 that means that you know it, it's very likely that if you if you try to use the raw server logs, then um and you're using a CDN, you're going to miss a whole load of the the traffic because the the traffic is never actually going to hit your uh your, your log files, is that correct? Or am I being naive? 100% correct, yep. We saw this time and time again. Um, again, this is before the times when CDNs actually produced their own log files. When I was working at Just Eat, I was like, oh, okay, so none of these actually, particularly for images, particularly where we have like a long cache life. Um, so anytime, I mean, a good example of that CSS, we did not want every single um, user to kind of access the CSS file on the server. We wanted the CDN to handle 80 to 90% of that. And so, yeah. Exactly right, Dixon. I think as well. Um, for those that uh, haven't seen the another show that that we've got, we've got SEO on the Edge, um, which you can find out there. Was well, a show, well, it's one of our shows that was uh, about the Edge and uh, and, and Edge workers. Uh, and uh, Edge workers, for, for for those that don't know, is is where effectively you're using this a CDN network to literally change the code at, C, at the at the DNS level, uh, and that is increasingly common um, amongst SEOs. Um, not always, not always with the approval of the 
uh, the web developers and the admins are assistant admins, but uh, is getting us through quite a few problems when uh, for, for, for previous issues when admins have been unwilling to give us access to various bits and pieces. So very useful tool. So look up that uh, that if you want to go go into that a bit bit further. Um, okay, so uh, I, let's let's talk a little bit about the traffic that we see in um, in. Uh, log files uh because uh, I, I know imperva used to do um an annual study uh on um on the types of traffic that they see on websites and they try to work out how much of the content was human versus how much of it was machines how much of it was malicious versus how much of it was uh, was uh, was was not um and 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 one of the, the the startling things that always came out is that pretty much half the traffic on the internet is not human is not human um orientated at all is that the sort of thing that that, that you see Stephen, in in content king or is it something that uh, that varies a lot on website to website and what is the sort of non non-human traffic that you see I haven't looked across um, uh, all of our clients. I can't uh, to see what the the uh, uh, ratio is between like real traffic and, and bot traffic. But I would wager that it's more like eighty percent bot traffic and twenty percent user traffic nowadays, uh, just because there's so much uh, crawlers out there doing their thing. Uh, a lot of them are yeah. We don't really know what they do, uh, what they're up to, um, but they're out there um, and looking like if, if you were talking about um, ratios for for sites I, it depends like if you, if you have a massive site like uh, cherries for example um, you'd want to see a lot of bot traffic on it uh, because if there are a lot of pages get refreshed uh, and they're pushing a lot of new content out there yeah you, you want that content to be re-indexed uh, as soon as possible. So uh, I'd rather have like 10% uh, uh, human traffic and 90% uh, Google traffic on my site than say 50-50. Um, because whenever I publish something, I want Google to eat it up. I, I wonder if the rest of you, Sophie, have you got the same sort of views or different views? Kind of similar. For me, I see there's a bit of a difference depending on the industry I'm working on. So like I find that with kind of health, finance, particularly like bigger websites, you do tend to see a lot more bots traffic than what you do with smaller ones so i'm talking like um i don't know jim the local glazer you're probably not going to see too much you know um i like to kind of split it between good bot traffic and bad bot traffic now that's maybe controversial depending on who you're talking to but for me like good bot traffic would be website crawlers website monitoring like a uptime robot or something scraping aggregation bots but then bad bots would be like the spam the ddos attacks ransomware the ad fraud it it does depend i really hate saying it i really try and avoid saying it um but yeah it, it i think it's just a matter of being able to block um some of the bad bot traffic if you're able to really identify that it's hard hard though isn't it because uh because uh, we used unless unless i've i'm mistaken uh we, we we've got two basic ways of identifying that bot that traffic either the user agent or the IP address that it comes from. And if it's the user agent, what I think a lot of people don't 
appreciate is that the user agent is 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 given by the choice of the of the user. I mean, it's something that's pushed by the bot. So the bot could sit there and say, "Hey, I'm Mr. Google, quite happily," or uh, or I'm uh, you know I'm 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 a very good I'm a very good bot, uh, and you wouldn't have any way of knowing. Or they could sit there and say, "I am you know." I am, you know, a bot that you're already familiar with, you know, or I'm, I'm Firefox or, or, or whatever. So, uh, and, and, uh, and of course, uh, IP addresses are getting much, much more random and variable these days, particularly with IPv6 being people are changing their, their, their IP addresses all the time. So Jerry, when you're blocking, you know, if you're going to use uh, log files or information from log files to start blocking bots, how, how much danger are you in? You know, are you going to slip up and actually start stopping? I don't know Google's Google's image browser from looking at your information in, in, inadvertently, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I won't mention the client name, but basically, I have seen clients where we can see something where somebody's trying to basically hack the site. An exact example of that is, um, I think everybody here knows you can buy you can buy uh, passwords and uh, usernames and passwords off the internet off. Uh, sort of black sites basically relatively cheaply. I've never done it myself, so I don't know exactly how to do it. I'm glad about that, Jerry. <laughs> but then you can yeah, a bit of a disclaimer run... there. <laughs> I know, absolutely. Um, but then you can run these against any kind of site, any major site. And, and a number of sites that I've worked on have sort of spotted that, you know, very specific passwords and things have been done at scale, often from a strange country like America, if you're based in the UK, or or often it's like Russia or something like that. And, you know, as you say, I if I was doing this myself, um, I would use a range of different IP addresses, different countries and different user agents to hide it as much as possible. So exactly what you say, although we can sort of see this pattern happening, us trying to block it using user agents and us trying to block it using um, IP addresses, it, it's a massive challenge. We There are ways of which we can kind of try to fix that using things like... Um, Good example of that is like, is it human? The kind of the the Google thing, the the capture stuff. Um, but again, that means that other bots, which are valuable, will struggle as well. So it is that sort of magical balancing act. So, I mean, we do rely a lot on things like Cloudflare's own protection to kind of say, you know, we can see bad behavior, switch it on in Cloudflare. But again, Cloudflare is not perfect. No, Cloudflare's got a, got this 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 big button that you just you know, this one yeah. one button that you can press, mm-hmm. and I, and and it strikes me that that is is it's using a you know a mallet to knock in a a paper clip, just really. decide yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just tries to decide <laughs> yeah but often when they i think it's called shields up isn't it um but basically when you hit that button it's because you know there's kind of a security incident going ahead and i mean i think all three of us have or four of us have worked on big sites where mm-hmm. security trumps everything else you know you mm-hmm. kind of get that point where you kind of go okay seo is really really important but security really really important but again you know i've, I've often found it where they've hit the button almost and they've almost forgotten they've hit the button until suddenly yeah. we start falling out of Google and kind of going, Oh, um, we, we seem to be blocking Google, but as a user, I can't see it because we've been white listed because we're UK based or we're white listed mm-hmm. because of this yeah. or the other. But yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of like until, until Google starts to sort of say, Hey, we're actually starting to drop you out. Um, it is something which is definitely worth kind of paying attention to. But so, yeah, to your point, um, IP addresses can be, well, you can't fake Google's IP address, but what you can do is you can kind of give yourself a random IP address in effect in any country. Um, You can't, you can fake user agents completely. So yeah, I mean, I for one often browse uh, news websites that I don't want to pay for by pretending I'm Google and they just magically let me read all the private content. I think a good example of that as well was when um, everyone was 
well, a few people booking in their COVID vaccines and everyone was trying to skip the NHS queue by doing exactly that. It was all over Twitter, changing their user agent. So it's it's hard. And same talking about kind of just blocking um, certain regions or kind of countries. People use VPNs all the time. People are so much more invested in their own privacy and their own security. And it's probably becoming a bigger trend than ever that's where it starts getting really dangerous yeah and i'm 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 british and i've got a tv license so i definitely want to be able to uh to to watch the iplayer you know use my iplayer from from abroad uh so i use vpn for that all the time as well so uh yeah i, I think we do do use that you know we're, we're more and more of us are using vpns and certainly a, a hacker whether good or bad whether a good person or bad they know how to use a vpn so they're gonna they, you know so it's not going to be a an effective barrier and i think i think on um cloudflare there's two different buttons there's a i've got it we've got a ddos uh, a, a denial of service attack right happening right now press this button i don't understand that you know if you've got panic it's great to have a button what i what i worry about is they're more subtle here's the setup that's running in the background sort of thing that if if it's uh if it's just taken at face value you you start to to miss an awful lot of potentially good traffic because if if you if you want someone if uh, coming back to, to the idea of seos being the subject of the of the, of the uh the, the the podcast if you want somebody to click on your website from a search engine whether it's YouTube, whether it's uh, it's um, it's um, majestic, or whether it's Bing, or whether it's a image search engine, or anything that's that's not the core. Google is the biggest search engine. There's loads of good, different Google Google crawlers and stuff. You know, then then if you don't let the bots see that information, then a human will never click on the link that's then indexed by that information. So, I think uh, people forget that quite a lot. So anyway. Feel free to carry on, come back on that one. But let's talk about error codes and how that can be useful on uh, on, on on log files. And let's get to something really useful for SEO. You know, what what why why can't I see error codes in in Google Analytics? Um, and uh, and and why what error codes can I see in uh, log files that that I can use to improve my SEO? I see Jerry's come off his mic, so we'll let him go in. Um, sure. I mean, this feels like a great question for Content King, to be honest with you, but um, I'll go in first. Uh, the, the fundamental thing is that um, JavaScript can't see the error code. And as we mentioned before, Google Analytics uses JavaScript to kind of tell you what type of uh, sort of page it is and everything like that. So if it can't see the status code, then there's no way to know if it's an error code. Now, I do actually hack in error codes into Google Analytics a lot of the time. So, um, you know, I often kind of go, hey, can we make sure that we track which ones are 404s, which ones are 500s, if you can if you can put your analytics code on the 500 page, which is sometimes a challenge. So fundamentally, it, that's one of the key things that's really, really different. So Google Analytics literally only uses um, JavaScript to kind of like understand what's the pages. So unless it can know what the, the error code is, then there's no way for it to see it. But equally, you can build other things into it, which you can't necessarily build into the, the hits. So for instance, you can say stock levels, or you can say whether or not pages, uh, somebody's logged in, logged out. So there's loads of other different codes which you can put into analytics that you can't necessarily put into um, log file analysis. So they're different. And one of the things that is important is understanding like what goes where and how to consolidate the information afterwards. Okay, I'll come on to Stephen last on this one, I think, because you've probably got plenty to, you know, to, to, to say. But Sophie, are there any, you know, error codes that you, you very much look out for? Because you're looking at log files probably day to day more often than the than than Stephen or Jerry. For me, the 404s, the 500 errors, particularly on large e-com websites where there's like loads of people accessing the site on a regular basis, updating products, taking 
breaking things down, taking things down, not putting redirects in place. Or when they do put a redirect in place, let's put a 302 in because they don't know the difference and all this kind of stuff because they're not there for SEO. They're there just to manage their website. They're just there to manage their stock. If that is a huge website and you know that kind of thing's happening on a regular basis just from the standard nature of it, that's when I turn to log files. I mean, I can run crawlers on sites like Screaming Frog and things like that um, or Content King, (laughs) but just really understanding and drilling into that more regularly and then seeing what Google's hitting because if they're regularly hitting those 404 pages, then you know there's a problem and you know you need to do something very quickly. Stephen, what do you want to add in there? So when it comes to uh, error codes and and Google Analytics, as long as a page um, is loading and JavaScript is executed and the Google uh, analytics JavaScript is executed, it's going to be logged and tracked in GA. Uh, so typically you'll see that like uh, uh, 4xx error codes um, are all going to show up in GA. But for instance, like the 302 redirected uh, uh, Sophie mentions, like it's definitely not going to show up in Google Analytics. Uh, and in most cases, uh, 5xx uh, status codes, same thing. Um, so w- what I like to do is I pull in all of the status codes that we get and pull it into a different place than Google Analytics because it's just not the right place to to make that overview. Uh, So you could build your own platform or you could use something like Content King that continuously monitors your site and leverages log file analysis, Google Search Console data and Google Analytics data, and you could piece it all together. You can even add the uh, stock levels that Jerry was talking about through an API. So you're basically piecing together your own uh, platform uh, and, and getting the insights that, that you need. Okay, cool. Uh, so, there's, uh, so there's a lot of things you can pull in. And, and, and uh, But what uh, apart from things like error codes, are there some other things that um, that you pick out in, in log files uh, at all that you've got a pet pet choice? Um, Sophie, you've come off mic, so I'll let you dive in there first. Yeah, for me, it's if a page is unnecessarily large or slow. And the reason why I use log files for this more than anything, and it's one of my biggest frustrations in SEO is people typically just run the homepage of a site through kind of page speed insights or lighthouse and just be like oh everything's fine this is fine <laughs> that's that's not fine so i tend to use it more specifically for that um and yeah finding things that are maybe like static resources that are crawled too frequently or not frequently enough um but yes the page speed especially with this whole turning around towards the core web vitals and user experience and like the big trend towards that a lot of clients i see on a on a monthly basis are asking a lot more what are you doing with our site speed what are you doing with our core web vitals now that's not always going to be the top priority but being able to really identify that in a much larger website where it's going to take a really long time for it to crawl on kind of a, a website crawler like a screaming frog for example do you then use that also to find you know really large image image files mm-hmm. that are sitting there just you know they're actually a little icon in the uh, in the browser and it uh, but when you look at them, they're four HD, ultra HD, yeah, yeah and mm-hmm. that's really slowing stuff, and you wouldn't see it another way. So I think that's a, a really, really good, good example. Uh, Jerry, Steve, any other things that you, uh, you that, that we, we we need to bring out before the end, before we hit the top of the show? I think the one thing that I get uh, like in, inspired and. Um, in- I basically find interesting is the wastage. Basically, you often find that there's like parameter URLs that are being crawled at scale. There's subdomains that are being crawled, or there's there's often things which 
you don't expect. I mean, the, the funny thing about log files is the fact that you tend to look for things that you didn't really see anyway. Almost. I mean, a lot of the time we kind of look at the website, we have a kind of understanding of the website and using tools like Content King or Screaming Frog or whatever kind of crawler we've got, we have a really good idea of how Google should be seeing the website. But then often we kind of look in the log files and we're often surprised when we go, oh, Google has got a bit weird over here or Google's found something over here. I mean, one of the things that I would mention is before you get into log files, another place you can look for the same kind of information is in Google Search Console. There's something called the, the crawl stats section, which I think is massively underutilized. And whilst I sort of, we're talking about log files, I think kind of starting there allows you to kind of go, okay, this is something which I need to look at. And then you go to the log files. It's almost kind of a, where do I start to kind of then go somewhere else? I mean, one of the things Sophie mentioned before is things like 302s versus 301s. We kind of understand the difference, but explaining to a developer that a 302 will be hit hundreds of times, whereas a 301 will be hit a few times before Google will kind of go, okay, this seems to be permanently moved over here. 302 is like, oh, I have to keep checking back and checking back and checking back. So a lot of the time developers, um, uh, IT guys, they want to improve the the crawling. They want to improve the um, efficiency of, of serving content to not just users, but also to the search engines, especially if a huge proportion of the traffic is uh, search engine based. We want to improve the efficiency there. And the best way to do that is to kind of go in log files. Another thing Sophie mentioned was like page speed. And one of the things that I never knew before recently was that there was like a status code called a 304. Actually, I mean, I say recently, this is like five, 10 years ago, actually thinking back to it. But when I first found out about that, I was surprised. I was almost worried when I went, wow, there's so many 304s in here. What are they? And is it causing me issues? And it turns out that's a good thing. But nobody had ever really told me that we should be using 304s to improve a crawl, which means that Google will check it. And then when it comes back again, it won't re-scan the page. It will know that it's not been modified because that's a not modified status code. All of these kind of little things which you kind of go, okay, these are the little things that are kind of massively improving things. Or this is where Google's gone a bit crazy over here and has, has found some spider trap or something, which means Google's kind of finding millions of pages of parameter content that it doesn't need to find. Um, a good example, um, going back to kind of my time at Just Eat, we had hundreds of thousands of subdomains and Google was crawling them even though they weren't generating any traffic. It was just basically canonicalized back to the, the main site. And we didn't realize just how bad it was until we started doing log file analysis. I might come back with some of that, but I wanted Stephen to have a chance to, to, to wade in. I love the 304 and uh, using uh, Google Search Console's crawl stats report to like get some pointers on where to optimize to use your site's crawl budget more efficiently. So what we typically see uh, is that uh, a lot of sites are not leveraging the 304 uh, not modified uh, HTTP status uh, response. So let me ask, how do you leverage a 304? I mean, so basically what you're saying is a 304 response is better than a 200 response. Uh, is that is that right? It depends. So if, if you've got content that's not changing um, or, or not changing that often, uh, it makes a lot of sense to use the 304 response code because you're essentially telling uh, both browsers and crawlers, like, hey, um, th this piece of content, whether it's a font or a logo or HTML, it hasn't changed. So you don't need to fully crawl it. It's like it hasn't changed. So you can use whatever you have. And that way you decrease uh, unnecessary load on uh, the site. So for example, like a, a company's logo doesn't change that often. Um, it's totally fine to uh, use the 304 uh, HTTP status there. 
Uh, and you can use it in a bunch of places where it makes sense. So you do it on the on the like on the logos and the images, not necessarily on the HTML pages URL itself. Is that right? Right? Uh, yeah, and and well, how, how do you do that? I mean, if I'm a if I'm a if I'm a WordPress user, am I am I stuffed? Do I need to be a little bit more tech savvy than that, or can I do it in WordPress? There's probably plugins for that. So any uh, speed plugin that's worth the salt uh, is going to have options for this. Um, so. That yeah, that that's that's built in pretty much any uh, plugin I've seen. Uh, and and that yeah, sorry, Jerry. No, I was going to say you can also do that using the CDN layer, basically. So okay. you know, often that's what CDNs are really really good for is kind of going. Actually, I want to cache these hits and use a three hundred four and other bits and pieces. So um, it, it it does exactly what Stephen's saying. It kind of gives you the ability to kind of go, okay, these image files. I want to basically extend the the oh god the the data point. Oh, Talking rubbish now. I'll pass you back, Stephen. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Well, no. I'll move on because I wanted to get onto GDPR just briefly before the end. And 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 before that, you brought up. Um, uh, I think it was Jerry. Uh, the idea of um, well, actually, Sophie brought it up. Really, uh, data basically is large files, and, uh, and and that being really obvious when you look at log files, and you suddenly see that you know eighty percent of your resources have been used to load images, and you didn't know you had an image ridge site or something like that, or it's just been streaming a video to one person for the last twenty four hours or something. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, but is that does that mean you know is it? Is that an opportunity to talk to data to, to developers and systems admins in a language that they more understand? If you sit there and say, "Look, you're using twenty percent of your resources just to load this image up," are you going to get a faster reaction than if you say, "Look, you're um, you've got you know three thousand three thousand bots hitting this this web page or something like that?" You know, is is data a better way to communicate with systems admins, or is that? And it depends kind of question on the systems have been. I think, Anyone? yeah, it's always an it depends question. I think anything's an it depends question, isn't it, really? <laughs> um, I've always found it's easier to build relationships with developers if you are almost speaking their language. If you can show them how it impacts them rather than how it impacts you or kind of just really building that bridge because like they don't really care like they've got their own <laughs> they've got their own kind of job list they've got their own ticket system like they've got all of these things that they need to work through why should they care more about what you're trying to get pushed through than what they already need to so you're just really being able to showcase to them what the impact is and kind of talking to them about what the effort behind that is as well and like how they can resolve that and leaving that open to them. Because if you storm into kind of a development meeting being like, right, this is definitely a low effort task. But I need all of these things done because it's going to benefit me and it's going to benefit the SEO. You're not really going to get anywhere. They're going to be completely just shut down from that. So I always think just talking to them in their language, showing them the data is going to help. Then I'm going to defend. You do. It's not. It depends. It's yes. You you reckon <laughs> that if you can talk to them in their language, then you're going to get further. Um, faster. Yeah, unless they yeah. know SEO, I guess. But that's yeah. really hard. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say I found a developer <laughs> who's like same level of SEO as what an SEO is. But yeah. 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 Okay. We agree with that, Jerry and Stephen. Absolutely. Talk to them in data. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's more of a communications issue, uh, as uh, Sylvie put it. I think the worst thing, I've, worst habit I've seen from um, SEO people is telling developers how to do it rather than what they want to get done. If you kind of go, oh, you need to edit the HT access file, and the guy turns around and kind of goes, we don't have a HT access file or a .NET server, you look like a yeah, you don't look like the best SEO guy out there. And it is basically your job to kind of talk to them about what you need and why you need it rather than how to do it. They're always very good at kind of t telling you how they think it should be done and talking to you through it. 
And you need to be in those conversations because often they come up with a solution which doesn't really work for you. But equally, you know, you almost have to trust them to kind of understand their own systems to kind of come up with the best ideas. Excellent. Okay. Before we, uh, we're nearly, nearly at the end of our time. These things go really quickly when you get into them. But uh, I did want to just finish up with this question, which if, if you, if you don't want to answer, that's actually fine. But, uh, um, GDPR law is something that, you know, when it came in, I thought, I thought, well, I believe in this, um, and, 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 and I do, I, I want people to opt in to have their data or not to have my data stored or whatever. But one of the quirks of GDPR law is that IP addresses are considered to be, um, uh, personally identifier information. So, um, does that mean that server logs are illegal? Fundamentally, um, no, they're not illegal in the basis that, you know, they have to be stored. They have to be stored in, in that way. Basically, the whole GDPR law is is if your data, it, it's a bit complicated, but basically if your data is used and, and matched up in a different way. Now, if we kind of use the IP address to then retarget you and do sort of all sorts of bits and pieces and match it up with other kind of data sources, then, yeah. And but you know it's basically if it's for the core service that we're doing, then absolutely we need to use the the IP address and, and so on and so forth. Now, it is debatable whether an IP address is actually um, personally identifiable. The reason I say that I is agree. because yeah. I used to work at the BBC, and everybody at the BBC, whether we were in the Manchester, the the London, or any other office, all shared one IP address, and it's the same with most organisations. And equally, as I browse around at home my IP address could change. Um, I could pay extra to have a fixed IP address, but I don't because I'm tight and I don't need one. Um, but basically, an IP address is is one of those things which is only just kind of a way in which you, at the computer that you're at, accessing the, the internet at that time. And again, as Sophie's mentioned, so many people now are using VPNs and other bits and pieces. It's, it's quite... Um, interesting that you know we still consider an ip address to be kind of personally identifiable however on the basis that you know gdpr and and i mean the country the company that i work for we don't use google analytics for instance because europe has deemed it to be potentially illegal so in germany and finland we're looking at different tools but what we are doing is we're not sharing the the IP address externally. We're not using the IP address that we capture to kind of then share that with other tools and other services to kind of use it in ways for retargeting and other bits and pieces. But we are using it to kind of provide the best service and to make sure that what we do and how we do it is is functional. So, you know, without storing and using IP addresses, literally the internet would collapse. And whilst I'm a great believer in my level of privacy, I'm also a great believer in having a functional internet. No, I, I absolutely agree with all of the you're saying. It's just that it wasn't it wasn't me that said that 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 deems that IP addresses are personally identifiable information. It's in the legislation, which seems to me absurd because there's no way you can. It's like it's like having a telephone call between two people, but the system doesn't know what one of the telephone numbers is. That's not going to work. You need it to be able to do the communication. So yeah, I mean, one of the things I would say is I've had some very interesting conversations with legal teams teams and big companies where they were trying to figure out how we've given permission for Google to scrape the site or or similar things. Basically, um, lawyers don't always understand the implications of law. They understand their side of it. We understand our side of it. But the two are not necessarily very well connected. I, internet lawyers are a new breed. And I think that's a fascinating kind of area, if I'm honest. Sophie, Stephen, you got anything that you want to add in that um, that? 
that conversation. I mean, I find it, I find it fascinating, but it yeah, probably bores the hell out of a lot of people. <laughs> so I left, it, I left it to the end of the uh, end of the show. <laughs> I, I think uh, the uh, uh, discussion you need to have is like, how, how do you go about IP addresses? Uh, in a lot of cases, you just you can discard them, or you can just re remove the last uh, couple of octets. So, um, and, and, and you can do everything you wanted to do anyway um so it's it's not really an issue um that's holding back your work uh, uh as an seo so moving beyond that um it's, it's pretty easy yeah that's that's certainly what i do is is on 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 in links we kind of have a tracking system on our on our it's like intercom it's called go square but it's sort of basically web web system web chat system which you know everyone needs to be logged into to be able to have a chat so i've got their email address and everything so uh but where i haven't got any of that information or haven't been given permission to to hold that information then yeah we kill the last three digits of the ip address so that we so that we're gdpr compliant and obviously if somebody signs up for the service then you know then they're they're obviously then a, a, it's a different nature of a different relationship but i find it weird because you know you go down a different internet lawyer who's worried about i don't know terrorism and all of a sudden it's illegal not to have the ip address of your customers so there's the, the isps are are damned if they do damned if they don't so i find i find it anyway it's a story for another day uh and uh i don't want to take people too much off the uh off the beaten track but uh, uh I, I do find it fascinating anyway guys we're up we're up to our 45 minutes and a little bit beyond already so thank you very much for coming in um before we uh before i ask you all to you know please tell people how they can get hold of you and and, and find out more because a lot of interesting stuff come out of this, this session uh, i'm going to bring back my producer david um to let us know what's happening on the on the next show and uh, and when that's going to be sure the next show is going to be on the 19th of september 4 p.m bst that will be episode 27 and the topic will be how do you target audiences using seo um we've we're booking a few guests for that um and um Stay tuned to the InLinks channels to find out exactly who's going to be on that show. But the topic is going to be how do you target audiences using SEO? And the sign-up link is theknowledgepanelshow.com if you want to sign up and watch the next episode live. Oh, I might have to talk about GDPR again then. That's uh, <laughs> going to happen. Okay, guys. Uh, thank you very much for coming in. Guys, before... Uh, we go can you tell people how they can get in contact with you as long as you want them to and please don't say what you can see on the screen because bear in mind most people are on spotify or or uh, itunes or whatever so jerry how can they get you um you can always find me if you google me jerry white you can find me on twitter which is at durgle or you can find me on linkedin they're the two best places to find me okay and jerry's with a g sophie how do they find you similar for me as well twitter more so just because i'm dreadful at my linkedin dms because they're normally full of um backlink builders but at sophie brannan is the best place to get me on twitter excellent and johnny scott's got a video in the uh is on youtube in the in the uh background so thank, thank you very much thanks for coming on johnny that's uh, great Stephen. how do they find you I'm an SEO, not a hard person to find. Uh, you can search for Stephen Van Vassum. Uh, and if my last name is too difficult, you can go to stephen.land and you'll be able to find me and contact me. Brilliant. Uh, Stephen with a V. So guys, just leaves it for me to say thank you very much for coming in. And if you all want to be on the next session live, go to the knowledgepanelshow.com uh, and sign up there. Cheers. Bye for now.